Good morning. I think Murray must have been here last. That was really tall. The Old Testament scripture this morning is from Isaiah 61, um, verses 1 through 3, um, and that is on page 789 of your Pew Bible. But first, let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. So by your spirit, light our way as we read your word. Give us eyes to see all that you want us to see. Give us ears to hear all that you want us to hear. And give us hearts that might be opened and transformed by the reading of your holy word. In your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord's God, Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Who gave Rome back her true self. How many of you have seen Gladiator? How many of y'all seen that? Great movie, right? If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. It's worth watching. Now, it's pretty gritty. Um, but in the times of dialogue, there are some very profound moments, like this moment with Marcus Aurelius, who actually was a real Caesar. He was a real person, and uh, he was wondering what he would be known as. He was known now as the philosopher king because of stuff like this. Because of times when he would sit there and he would think back on his life. And here, he's sitting back and he's thinking on his life. And he's thinking of all of the brokenness. All of the brokenness that he has brought. All of the brokenness that he has experienced. He's thinking about his life. He says, four years of peace out of 20 of being Caesar. That's all I've had is four years of peace. Well, we all experience brokenness in life, don't we? And maybe we recognize it looking back like Marcus. Maybe we recognize it when we're sitting down and we have a moment of silence, a moment of stillness, and we're thinking back on our lives and the things that we've seen, the things we've done, the things we've experienced. Or maybe we're right in the middle of it. Maybe we're right in the middle of it and we see it coming up against us like everything from our bodies not working the way that they should to uh, poor decisions leading to bad consequences. We see it in the news. We see it, read about it with all the stuff going on with politics. We read about it with war, with oppression. There's so much brokenness in this world, and we all experience it in some way. Well, today we're going to be looking at a passage with some people who are very much like us, some people who experience brokenness in some of the ways that we experience it today. And then we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does in the midst of it. So would you turn with me to Acts chapter 3? We're going to start just reading verses 1 through 11. It's page 1159 in your pew Bible, but Acts 
chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. Now, before we start, uh, our passage is going to be happening in a place called Solomon's Portico. So this is up at the temple, up at the temple in Jerusalem, uh, near this place called Solomon's Portico. And our passage is going to start around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, are on their way to the temple for the hour of prayer, and their path is going to take them through this place. Now, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine with me what it would have been like, because this is a real place in a real time and real space. So I want you to imagine the sounds of people speaking different languages. This was uh, part of the court of the Gentiles, where anyone who was interested in the God of Israel could come. And so you'd have people of different languages. This was a place of learning um, where there would be debates. Rabbis would come here and they would teach in this spot. Jesus even taught here. Uh, You might remember in John 10 where Jesus is talking about how he's the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. That happened here in this area. And then imagine the sounds of the sheep, the sounds of the cattle, the sounds of the birds on their way to be sacrificed. Uh, You can imagine the smell of the meat cooking. Just think of a really good barbecue, right? This meat cooking on the altar. You can hear the money changers. You can hear the merchants calling out their last-minute goods, things that they have to sell for people that might have forgotten something on their way into sacrifice. And that's where we are when we begin our passage. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So right away in the passage, right away in the passage, you see the brokenness that's going on. You see this, this man whose legs don't work the way that they should. Now, this part doesn't really surprise us because we're used to seeing this kind of thing around us. And our passage doesn't condemn him for, uh, for his condition. It doesn't condemn him for being carried to the temple. It doesn't condemn him for asking for money, right? This is all he can do. All it does is it points out that his legs don't work the way that they should, and they never have. And then here come Peter and John. And they see the man begging, and then what do they do? They go around to a different entrance so they can avoid him. No. No. They walk by, pop their sunglasses on, and they keep going, pretending they can't hear him, right? No, what do they do? They look at him. They see the man. They see his brokenness. They don't ignore it. They don't walk by. 
Is that what we do? When there's brokenness around us, do we see it or do we ignore it? Do we go to a different entrance? Do we put on the sunglasses because it makes us uncomfortable? Have you ever known someone who was depressed, someone who had anger issues, maybe somebody who didn't take life seriously enough, or maybe somebody who took life too seriously? Maybe did you know somebody where something happened in their life or in their family or at their job and we just go around, right? We can't do that. See the brokenness. See the people in it. That's the first thing we should notice. Well, the man turns, and in verse 5, you see, he looks back at them. In fact, it says he fixed his attention on them. He's like laser-beamed in on these guys and says he's expecting to receive something. And then Peter says something that probably made his heart sink. I don't have any money. What? He says, I don't have any money. But then what happens next? You see it starting in verse 6. I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. And then he tells him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The Holy Spirit heals the man. And he doesn't just heal him. This man was lame from birth. His legs, his, his feet, his ankles, they didn't work. They never worked. There were, there were muscles and, and tissue and cartilage and things that just weren't there. And the Holy Spirit created them. He created new muscle mass. He created new things. More than that, have you ever seen uh, a baby that's learning to walk? Right? I have a toddler in my home, and she toddles. Right? They you know, kind of walk around, you know, look like little zombies, cute little zombies, but they, they toddle. This guy, God created new pathways in his brain so that he could immediately begin to walk, begin to leap, begin to jump. This is incredible. This is incredible. And it's a real man. He lived in a real time, in a real place. And you see in verses 9 through 10, people recognized him. They see him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who had never been able to walk. And he was always over at that gate asking for money. This would have been very, very easy to disprove if you'd wanted to. You know, there's, in fact, there's a man that I see around town, and uh, I've talked with him. Uh, I've tried buying him meals before. When I see him, I pray for him. Uh, he wears flip-flops. He has a wrist brace on, uh, usually wearing shorts out of season. His clothes are changing all the time. Um, and addiction really seems to have taken a huge toll on him. When I bought him a meal, it goes right in the trash. Um, he gets run out of businesses a lot because he just, he's just there trying to get money for drugs. And I, I pray for him. And if I described him well enough, you'd probably realize that you've seen him too because he's all over. Now, here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit heals that man, and I pray that he does, if the Holy Spirit heals that man, you would all know, wouldn't you? If you had ever seen him before, you would know that he was healed because he would be so different. And it's the same thing. If I began to claim that he was healed and he wasn't really healed, you would know. You would know that I was lying. And that's the same situation here. The people, if this didn't happen, they could have very confidently said, we know exactly who you're talking about. They could be reading Luke's book and they could be saying, we know exactly who you're talking about, Luke. That never happened, but they can't. Instead, look at what, how it does describe the reaction. They see him, they recognize him, they are filled with wonder, they are filled with amazement. 
They are utterly astounded because this happened. This actually happened, and they were amazed. Now, I get to this point in the passage, though, and I start thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? What are you trying to teach? Luke, why did you write this down? What are we supposed to be taking away from this? One of the hardest things about reading through the book of Acts is trying to figure out when something is normative and when something is exceptional. Something that is normative would be something like benevolence. Right? We see from the very earliest days of the church, we see the church taking care of people who can't take care of themselves. And that practice has been going on ever since the church uh, began. That is something that is normative in the book of Acts to the point where hospitals, um, adoption, public education, things like that largely owe their existence to the normative effect that, that the book of Acts and the, uh, the events in Acts had on the church. But when we see something exceptional, that's something that happened like this, and it might happen again, but we can't guarantee whether it will or not. And even if it does happen again, we don't know if it's going to happen the same way. Jesus' miracles fall into this category. And Acts challenges us because we see a lot of things that are normative, but then we see a lot of things that are exceptional. And sometimes it's hard to figure out which is which. Now, when we read this passage up to this point, I believe that we are reading something exceptional. Now, don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit heals brokenness. He absolutely does. Uh, Think of all the ways that you can see it, like the time you forgave someone's mistake, even though it cost you money, or the time you gave your last piece of candy to one of your brothers, maybe, because you knew it would make them happy. Or the time at school where you chose to sit with someone who was alone even though you knew it would hurt your reputation. Or the time at your job where you took the holiday shift so that the new mom could be at home with her baby. We see this type of healing and normally the physical side of healing, normally the Holy Spirit seems to do that through what we would call ordinary means, through doctors, through nurses, through counselors. So the Holy Spirit heals. Don't get me wrong. The Holy Spirit heals brokenness. But God doesn't normally make people who are paralyzed get up and walk. He can do that, and he does do that sometimes, but it's not normally how he addresses that type of brokenness on this side of heaven. And so what we're looking at here is what the Gospels would have called signs and wonders. Now, when you see a sign, what does a sign do? This is feedback time, guys. What does a sign do? It gives direction. It points to something gives you some information that you need to keep going, to know where you are, to know where you're going. And this is a sign, and it's pointing towards something, and we need to know what that is. Because here, the Holy Spirit has given us a visible sign that is pointing towards something invisible. It is a visible sign pointing towards something that we can't see. And so to figure out what that is, we need to keep reading. Starting in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, the people gathering... He addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, of Jacob, of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. 
And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So we already see the visible sign. Now Peter is starting to diagnose something that they can't see. We've seen the visible brokenness. Peter is diagnosing the invisible brokenness. And look at what he says. He says that Jesus came, as all the prophets had been telling them, that Jesus was going to come all the way back to Genesis. God said, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to send my seed to deal with this. Jesus came, and what did they do? They delivered him over. They denied him. They asked for a murderer to be released instead of him. And they killed the author of life. These people were so out of tune with the ways of God, they didn't even recognize the Messiah when he came. See, the lame man had legs that didn't work, but these people had souls that didn't work. But the Holy Spirit heals brokenness, remember? Now, how did the people listening know that what Peter is saying to them is true? How does he know that when he gets to the part where he says, God wants to heal you, how do they know it's true? Peter is looking back and he's saying, look, everything I'm telling you right now, you've all wondered about. And you got it wrong. But what I'm telling you is true. How do you know? Look at this guy. Isn't that amazing? Look at this guy. And you know him. And he's up here dancing and running and jumping and praising God. That's how you know that what I've done is true. It's the visible sign pointing toward this invisible reality. And so he's diagnosing this brokenness in their souls, talking about the things that they've done. And then he's saying, and Jesus can heal you the same way he healed this man. When someone asks for healing of their soul, when your soul is dead and you say, God, make it alive, he always answers that prayer. When your soul is dead and you say, God, make it alive, he always answers that prayer. Isn't that what the scripture says? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter even tells him how it happens. He says it in verse 19, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And then your soul is healed. You have relationship with God. You have a relationship where we didn't have it before. 
Most of us in this room are at that point where we have that relationship with God that we didn't have before. And then that brings with it the other things that he starts talking about. He starts talking about having relationship with the author of life. He starts talking about times of refreshing, experiencing the presence of the Lord. Holiness is that sin is scraped away as the Holy Spirit applies that core healing, begins applying that to other areas of your life. And to what degree? To what degree does he heal? He heals our souls as thoroughly as he heals the lame man's legs. That man could walk and leap and praise God because something that was dead became alive because the Holy Spirit created something in him that wasn't there before. And that's the same kind of healing that the Holy Spirit does in us when we come into relationship with Jesus. He creates a newness in our souls. He makes what was dead come alive in Christ. That's why Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? I heard a little bit. A new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That thing that he does, it's new. It's something new. And that, that's why we can have love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It's because the Holy Spirit heals our souls. He makes them come alive. Then he heals us there on the inside, the part that can't see. And then he continues to apply that healing into other areas of our lives, begins to transform us and to bring that healing in other places, even in places that are more visible. Now that's how God turns a bully into a protector. That's how he turns someone self-centered into someone who is self-sacrificing. That's how he makes someone who is easily offended quick to forgive. Someone who is fearful, able to trust in God. That's the kind of healing that the Holy Spirit brings. And as he applies it, it, becomes to, it begins to become visible in those kinds of ways. And as he begins to heal us, and as he begins to apply that healing broader and broader into our lives where people start to see it and they start to see you're different. I know you and you're not like this. You're different. Then we have to tell someone about it. We have to speak up. Just like Peter, all this stuff happens and then people are, what is going on? He speaks up and he says something. And what does he say? He says, it was Jesus. It wasn't me. I didn't do this. John didn't do this. It was Jesus. And the evidence of this man's changed life is an evidence of the truth of the gospel in the same way that the evidence of our changed lives is evidence of the truth of the gospel. There's a man who did uh, my premarital counseling, and he is the kindest, sweetest, gentlest man I have ever known in my life, and I hope Someday I'm as kind as he is. His voice is so, so soft and so gentle. It, it actually did almost put me to sleep a couple of times. I felt really bad about it. Love is even in his name. It's part of his name. This guy is amazing. And I, I told him that once. I said, I hope I'm like you someday. That, you're so amazing. You're so kind. You're so gentle. And he looked at me and he said, I wasn't always like this. I used to be mean. I mean, I was mean. People did not want to be around me. And if they were, they shouldn't have been. And then he says, but you know, Jesus got a hold of my heart. And he healed it and began to heal me further and further. And that's why he was the man that he is today. That's why he is the man he is today. 
So when we experience healing from brokenness in any way, shape, or form, we then have to speak up about it. Because when we do, just like Peter speaking up about the healing of this lame man, when we speak up about the healing we've received, the Holy Spirit wants to use that to heal others. Look at the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. There will be some resistance, but there will be some who are saved. There will be resistance, but there will be some who are healed just by sharing about the healing that you've received. You've probably heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. Well, I would say changed lives change lives also. That's the work that the Holy Spirit does, and he wants to use our testimony. If you think about uh, Revelation, the accuser comes up. And it says that the people of God overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We have to speak up. Because like Peter and John, our testimony isn't, look what I've done, look what I could do, look how I changed, look what I achieved, look what I accomplished. It's look what Jesus has done. Look what God has done. Look what the Holy Spirit has done in me. So my challenge to all of us is remember, the Holy Spirit heals brokenness. And when he does, we have an obligation to speak up about it. Wherever it's appropriate, speak up about it. You will meet some resistance, but you will also get to see something incredible. You will get to see him use the brokenness and the healing in your life to begin to bring healing to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us without a guide. You have not left us without a way. Holy Spirit, would you apply our salvation so thoroughly that others can see it, that we can share about the change, and we can see healing come to them as well. Amen.